Good morning. All right. Got a strong voice today. I like it. I don't. So you have to work with me. I was sick on Friday and these are the leftovers. So you get to listen to my raspy rattling on today. Um, so I apologize for that. But if you're a guest of ours, if you would reach in your worship guide that you got, there's a couple things I want to draw to your attention. If you'd fill out your connection card, we would love to know that you were here today. And then bring it back. Don't drop it in the bucket. Bring it back to me at Info Central at the end. I've got a gift for you that I'd love to hand you. And then uh, chat with you and get to know you a little bit and let you get to know Redeemer City Church a little bit. And I would love to do that. But then the other thing that's in there is some sermon notes. And uh, everybody needs their sermon notes today. If you're a note taker, uh, you can get your pen out. And uh, there's also probably one somewhere near you in a seat back. Do that. But uh, we also are on the Version Bible app. So if you have the Bible app on your phone, feel free to do that. Just go under events and um, search Redeemer City Church or by location. And it should be right there. But we got, if, 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 who's a note taker in here? Like for work, for everything, you're just a note taker. Only, only a handful. Don't be shy. Are you a note taker in here? Come on. You go to heaven faster. So you might as well raise your hand. All right. But uh, listen, t- today is a note taker's dream. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be giving you notes all day long. And uh, we may have to revisit this passage uh, at a later date as well. There's a lot here. We're going to cover 41 verses. Somebody say, oh no. <laughs> That's scary for me, right? But uh, I promise that we're going to get you out of here on time. But one of the things that we've been talking about and centering on in this study in Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, and we kicked off our series this way, that you are here for a reason. And that God says the reason you're here is to be his witness in all the earth. But he connects a promise to that. He connects that the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. And the word in the Greek means dynamite. And so the question we pondered in week one of this series was, am I experiencing the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit? I've even got music in the background. You like that? <laughs> but if you're be honest with me, and I was be honest with you, is it not true that most days we're not experiencing an explosion of the Holy Spirit? Would you be honest with me to say that today? Yes. Probably. Some of you are just, I'm going to say it. <laughs> because... We need to recover some fundamental aspects of what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to do that, we're we're going back to Acts chapter 2 today, if you're uh, turning in your Bible. And we're going to look at what's called Pentecost. All right. And it just so happens that today in the celebration of the church is Pentecost Sunday. And I didn't plan that, but we're going to act like I did. And uh, we're going to talk about it. And there's, there's some fundamental shifts that take place in the church, the first church, that I think we need to go back to. Well, we need to look in a fresh way at what exactly the Holy Spirit is doing in his church, is doing in his church. So, so go to Acts chapter 2, and uh, let, let's read the first 13 verses, 
And then uh, we'll, we'll start your note taking. We'll get ready. Here's what the Bible says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And if you remember from earlier reading in Acts, there's about 120 people uh, gathered as the church. And they're waiting for God. Right? Because Jesus told them to go and wait. And I will send you the Holy Spirit. And then you'll know that it's time to go. Because he gave him this mission, right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus says one of the last things to his disciples, that you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Acts 1.8, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, you're going to have power. <clears throat> and so, then he throws in the qualifier, wait. And so, uh, two weeks ago, before Mother's Day, we looked at what they did when they waited. They gather, they unify, and they pray. And so we're, we together as a church, we gather, we unify, and we pray. We get united around the same common goal, to be on mission for Christ. And so we do that every week. But what happens as we gather, unify, and pray? What is the Holy Spirit's role? What is the Holy Spirit doing in His church? And who is His church? You are. You are. It's not the walls, it's not the lights, it's not the kids' uh, area. It's the human beings that Peter tells us that God is building as a spiritual house. And so what does the Holy Spirit do in that spiritual house? Here it is. First time that believers are given the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. What's that next word? Like. It's a very important word. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it sounds like. You're going to see the word like a few times. And so what I want you to understand as we read this is that th this is heaven's way of trying to explain in a natural way what God's doing in a supernatural way. Does that make sense? So it's, it's the Bible trying to explain to you and I in human terms what God is doing. Make sense? So a sound like a mighty rushing wind and a sound <coughs> and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire or like fire. Some of your translations will say uh, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And listen to this. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you are new to the church world, everybody who's not new to the church world is now officially nervous. Okay? <laughs> Let me let you in on a little church secret. Speaking in tongues is one of the great debates of our generation. Where do speaking in tongues, uh, are they appropriate? Are they dead? Are they alive? And all of those things. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but I do want you to know that that wasn't the point of this passage. Okay, but we're going to talk about them in a minute. And uh, look, at verse, look at verse 5, though. So they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Now listen to this statement. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're just filled with new wine, which is the good wine, by the way. You remember the first miracle that Jesus did uh, when they ran out of wine, his mom comes like, Jesus, we're out of wine. We need wine. And Jesus says, you're going to need some new wine skins because I only make good wine and new wine. And so a uh, familiar theme to those of us who have studied the Bible. But I want you to put yourself in their shoes. They'd never seen anything like this before ever. First of all, in the Old Testament, God primarily brought his message through the Jewish people. It was for all people, but it would come through the Jewish people. And now suddenly in this moment, on the heels of a lot of prophecy, prophecy that they would know, they're going to be seeing things that they thought they would never see. And God was going to begin to do things that maybe they'd even forgotten he was going to do. I mean, it'd be like the second coming of Christ happening, and you and I just, <laughs> wait, this is it. I wasn't ready, right? And, and this is where they're at. But the first thing that I want you to see, right off the top, and it's the title of the message today, and it'll be at the top of your notes, is that the Holy Spirit empowers people. Don't miss that. I think a lot of times we, we just get it in our head that God is going to work in the supernatural realm. And he's just going to do what he's going to do. But what I want you to notice is that God specifically chose to use people to do his ministry. And so when he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit, don't miss the fact that he said, I'm going to empower people to do ministry. In fact, my job description from the Bible is not to do all the ministry. My job is to get up here and proclaim God's word to you so that you will do the ministry. Does that make sense? So my God-given responsibility is to come up here and say, here's what God wants to do in your life. Go do it and then join you in it. So the Holy Spirit empowers people for ministry. But when the Holy Spirit came, it mentions two things that he came like or as. Wind and fire. You ever been in a strong wind? Like we live in Florida, so have you ever been outside during a hurricane? Okay, maybe you're smarter than the rest of us, uh, and you stayed inside and didn't go out in the hurricane. How many of you at least seen a, a knucklehead weatherman out in the rain going, you know, like just rain and wind, and you're like, you didn't have to stand there for me to understand that hurricanes are dangerous, Okay. And uh, my, my five-year-old asked me yesterday, just out of the blue, totally out of the blue. We were just, we were like watching cartoons or something. And he goes, Dad, why do weather people go out in a hurricane? 
I was like, where did that come from? But think about that. Think about a hurricane wind. My parents just had a tornado come through and rip trees out of their backyard. Just like, what, what does wind have the capability of doing? Great damage, doesn't it? But yet those gale force winds look very different when you throw a what up in the air with a string attached to it? A kite. Th- think, about, think about what the force of wind can do when it's brought by God in your life. Th- this is what the Bible wants you to connect the Holy Spirit like in your life. That like a kite without wind, you're dead. But like a kite with wind in the Holy Spirit, you are alive. What, what, is the, what does a kite do when wind fills its sails? It shoots up into the air and it dances all over the place. Right? The Bible wants you to think of the Holy Spirit like that. That when you get up in the morning and you meet Jesus in your prayers and in the word that he gave you, that it would, the Holy Spirit would fill your life. You, you, if you've been around church for a long time, you've heard the phrase that we are to be spirit-filled. What, what, why do we say that? Because the Bible connects the ministry of the Holy Spirit to being like wind. And, and what's it say there? Look, look back, like a mighty, rushing wind. Right? It's not just like, you know... Oh, he's so gentle. I just love the Holy Spirit. He's like a dove. Right? That's how we think of him though, right? Like we think of the dove and we think of like the keychains that have a dove on them. And, you know, it's like, or we get a t-shirt with a dove. But that's not what the Bible describes the Holy Spirit like. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is like a mighty rushing wind. Does your life look like it has the mighty, rushing wind of the Holy Spirit at its back. If it doesn't, I want, I want you to know that it's not because the wind's not blowing. It's because maybe you didn't put your kite up to sail. And then it mentions that it's like fire. So we have the force of the Holy Spirit in wind, and then we've got fire. What does fire do? What do we use fire for? To get warm, right? The Bible wants you to connect the Holy Spirit to be like a force. But that brings light and warmth. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? When the Holy Spirit empowers his people, he does it with force. But to bring light... And warmth in the world. Think about what that would look like in your life. So if the mission of God, if Jesus' mission is that you would go into all the world and preach the gospel and be his witness. And then the promise is that the Holy Spirit will come. He's going to come with force in your life that you might be a light and warmth to the world. Where does the light shine brightest? In the darkness. Where do you go to work? In the darkness. Where do you need a force like a mighty rushing wind in your life? In the darkness. 
but he comes with great light and great warmth. And so it's with that picture that we're going to see that unfold for the very first time. What does it look like when the force of God comes with the light and presence of God? See, this is what's happening at Pentecost. They're gathering to celebrate. They're gathering to feast. They're gathering to remember. And God's saying, as you remember those things, I'm sending the Holy Spirit for you to do a new thing. What is that new thing? I want to give you, if you're taking notes, four things about Jesus' mission. Four things about Jesus' mission that we see right here at the beginning. (coughs) And that we'll see throughout the rest. But the first thing is that, and it'll be on the screen because it's a, it's a full sentence and we'll leave it up there for you so you can write it all down. I, I'm, I hate taking notes and not getting every word. Here's the first thing that this text tells us about Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is not to take us from the world, but to join us in the world by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is so critical. That there, there's, this, there's a whole doctrine of separation that is taught that uh, you are to separate yourself from the world. But the problem is we never see Jesus doing that. We see Jesus entering into the worst places in the world and meeting people where they are. And, and I, I tell you frequently, the only people Jesus really ever got mad at were the religious people. Why is that? Because he's on mission. And when we're not on mission, we're not doing what we were designed to do. You, you'll never be as happy as you can be, as joyful as you can be, than if you are on mission with Jesus. Jesus' mission is not to take you out of the world, but to join you in the world, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, because... When Jesus told them to wait, where did he tell them to go? He said, go back to Jerusalem. Go back to where everything's happening. Go back to the city center. Go back to where the people are. The darkness is. And wait for me. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then you're going, to see, you're going to see things happen that you've never seen before. You're going to see people getting saved that, have, that, that you would have never thought. Some of you, that's your story today. That five years ago, you would have never thought you'd be sitting at Redeemer City Church as a baptized Christian, following Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, singing to Jesus. Some of you, just the singing, you're like, man, I would have never been singing like five years ago. Because the Holy Spirit came and filled you. Jesus' mission is not to take us out of the world, but for us to join, but for Him to join us in the world. Number two, Jesus' mission does not send us to a holy place. We're not sent to a holy place like Mecca or to a temple or anything of the sort. But instead, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to make us a holy place, corporately and individually. That you, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, would become part of us that is filled with the Holy Spirit and become a spiritual body a temple that god's building for himself but but not in a place but in a people this is fundamental to christianity when we get this wrong we get everything wrong 
Because if the goal is just for people to come in here, because this is where God works, we've missed most of what God intends to do in the world. God works through his people all over the place. How many times do we see Jesus healing people in a church service? A couple where he's gathered people, but... I mean, sometimes he was just walking through the village and the, the, the lady grabs the hem of his garment and he feels the power go out of him. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? God is not taking you out of the world. He's joining you in the world. So wherever you go to work tomorrow, God's going with you. The Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind, is going with you to be his light and presence in a dark world. When you go to the movies on Friday night or you go over here to Armature Works or you hang out at the hall for lunch or wherever you go, the Holy Spirit's going with you like a mighty rushing wind. Will you pay attention to it? Will you pay attention to it? God wants to join you in the world because he's building you up as his temple. Number three, Jesus' mission is the gospel. And it's for the nations. So an incredibly important point here, especially if you were a Jew in the first century. Because primarily you, you were just you were God's chosen people. And now suddenly all these people from all these places, you know, is there what what's the reason that Luke writes all these things down? Look around the United States of America. We still struggle with this. Right? That, that, that God's body is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-age body. That it's for all people in all places for all time. And he lists them out. And that God is meeting them where they are. The mission is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to be his witness. <coughs> and then number four... Jesus' mission requires that you be filled with the Holy Spirit personally and corporately. You see, we, we're wasting our time if we gather together and God's not here. I understand that God's omnipresent from a theological standpoint, but there are certain places and people that God manifests his presence. You know, I've said before, I'd rather like the ceiling fall and wake us up than to just come in here and just sit here and do nothing over and over and over and over again. We can all do other things with our time. No, why do we gather? Why do we share? Why do we invite? Why do we do all the things that we do? Because we know that this is a place where God shows up. This is the place that God chose to show up. It's not an idea that we made up. It's an idea that God made up, and it's important. And so, so that, that's what Jesus' mission is, and that's where it's going. But it does a few things in this passage along the way. It does a few things. And, and the, the first one, it'll be, it'll be in your notes, is that the Holy Spirit overcomes barriers. <coughs> one of the things that's so great about this passage is that there was, from a human perspective, an insurmountable barrier to the gospel going out. <clears throat> Did you catch that? If the Holy Spirit had not come, 
like a mighty rushing wind and like a fire and rested on the people, they never would have spoken tongues that they didn't know. They, the people were from all over the place. They were gathered for a celebration and they were just celebrating with their own little group. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and he's overcoming barriers of location and barriers of language. And, and God is moving despite the deficiency of the people. See, God doesn't need you, but he wants you. There's a big difference. And how we live our lives in view of that is very important. Because we could live like God needs us. When in reality, God wants to use us. And there's a big difference. And so what we see happening here is that the Holy Spirit overcomes barriers. Some of you have people in your life, I have people in my life that there seems to be a barrier that is insurmountable. But what we know all throughout Scripture and in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit overcomes barriers all the time. Some of you, your story just since this church was started, is that the Holy Spirit went through some barriers in your life to bring you to himself. The Holy Spirit overcomes barriers. And just as a little side note, you know, the the question of tongues, and is it for today? um, We're not going to dive into all of that. And if you want to, I'd be happy to get together with you and chat about that. But... Here's what I want you to know. That whether speaking in tongues is for us now, or whether it was just for them until we had the Bible, um, here's what I want you to know always. Is that when the Holy Spirit comes, and whether he comes through tongues or whether he comes not through tongues, here's what I want you to know. It's always to tell the mighty works of God. It's never to build a person up. It's never to provide prosperity for a person. It's always to put Jesus forward and to build Jesus up and to make Jesus famous. And so if it's not doing those things, it's not a biblical use of tongues. And so we may come back in the next couple of weeks as we move forward and talk about the specifics of it. But the reality is that if Jesus isn't being proclaimed, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Fair enough? And then there's some encouragement here, too. (laughs) Then there's some encouragement. At at the end of those first 13 verses, it says that the Holy Spirit, this is the next part in your notes, that the Holy Spirit was both received and rejected. (coughs) This will bring somebody hope today who's been sharing Jesus with people, and it's just, you're just not seeing any fruit. You're not seeing anybody come from that. Look again at verse 12 and 13. It says, all the people were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So some people were like, man, tell me more. Some of the times you share the gospel with people, they're going to be like, tell me more. I want to know more about this Jesus that has changed your life so much. But then there's going to be some other people. Look at verse 13. But others were mocking and saying, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. There's going to be people that reject what you have to offer. 
And I just want you to know that that's okay. Your job is not to convert people. Your job is to witness to people. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convert people. But here's what I do know, is that people will be converted. The Holy Spirit will save people, will rescue people, and will work through you if you'll be faithful to be his witness. He is always at work. And we're a testament to that. Some of them made sense, made fun, and some of them asked questions. But then something interesting happens. Maybe you're new to church and you wonder why, why you even sit here while I get up here and talk. <laughs> why is that guy always up there yelling at me? The next thing I want you to see is that Peter stands up to preach. Uh, What's interesting is that people are already experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're already seeing what God wants to do, and Peter stands up to preach. Why? Look at the rest of the passage here. Look at verse 14. And isn't it awesome that Peter's the one standing up to preach? Think about what he had just gone through. He denied Christ three times. He heard that rooster crow. He, he, he had just been a total failure. He had totally failed at the mission that God had just given them. But isn't it just like God to bring dead things back to life? To take you when you thought you were useless and do something great for the kingdom of God. Peter, verse 14, stands up. With the eleven. And here's what he does. He lifted up his voice and addressed them. He preached to them. And by the way, this isn't an exhaustion of his sermon. This is just the cliff notes. Alright? But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. We talked a couple weeks ago that biblical preachers preach God's word. And here comes Peter preaching God's word from the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he see flesh, see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out at this, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then listen to this. He, he brings all of that theology, all of the fact that God prophesied, God came, God saves, the Holy Spirit's here. For what? Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain That God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And he would say the same to you, that it's your sin that crucified Jesus on that cross. If you don't know Jesus today, it was your sin that nailed him to that cross. And look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day, added that day, about 3,000 souls. And the church was born. What an amazing thing that God, the Holy Spirit, empowers preachers. And he empowers preachers. To preach. Peter stands up to preach. He lifts up his voice and the church is born. But God chose Peter because the point was that the Holy Spirit was working through people. An uneducated fisherman preaching the Bible and 3,000 people respond and the church is born. Oh, that God would do that again. That God would take you and me in such insignificant ways and do something so far beyond our expectation that only he could be glorified. Amen? Amen. You know, it's interesting from, to me that Peter moves from a rational argument to a biblical argument, isn't it? He starts where the people are. They're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Nobody's been drinking. You know, in the culture that you live in, you're going to have to start with a rational argument. You'll have to start with a rational argument. 
Because people are going to say, Bible, science, they don't go together. Well, actually they do. And they go together very well, by the way, my dad. And there are very smart people in very smart places who have done all the research for you. You just got to grab a book. (laughs) And I can help you with this. And I want you to know that the Bible's not afraid of science. The Bible's not afraid of history. And yeah, there's some crazy stuff in there like when Joshua said, the sun stands still. Or when Jonah got eaten by a whale and three days later thrown up on the beach. And they said, oh, that's not compatible with science. Duh. It's a miracle. Right? And if God wasn't God and he was equal to me, we would all be in trouble. Right? We love that God did things that were supernatural and outside of time. When the Holy Spirit came, it was supernatural and beyond what we could comprehend. And aren't you glad that God still does miracles even today? That he's healing people and that he's rescuing people and he's working through people. We're not afraid of that. Peter moves from that rational argument into the biblical one. He explains what they're dealing with so that they can clearly see Jesus. That spirit-empowered preaching is always only about Jesus. Because Jesus came to set the captives free. That's why we do what we do. That's why you do what you do. That's why all of you have a different job than me. So that when you leave this place, you will be the hands and feet of Jesus, the mouthpiece of Jesus in places that I can't go. And I will go to places that you can't go. And we'll all be together on mission, Jesus' mission, to reach the nations. And don't you love that Holy Spirit-empowered preaching works? (laughs) Don't you love that the Bible says people were cut to the heart. When was the last time the Holy Spirit cut you to the heart? Just open your heart to the Holy Spirit. He's like a mighty rushing wind bringing light and bringing warmth but also burning things. Let's not forget that the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. The only reason we know the good news is because of the bad news. See, the reality is we're on this mission because people are dying and going to hell. That hell is not a curse word, it's a place. And we may not understand what all of that is. Some of it is clearly here on earth and some of it is in the afterlife. But here's what we know, that uh, uh, it's a scary place, not because God's absent from it, but because God's present in it with his wrath. Our God is a consuming fire. But there's also good news, isn't there? That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that if, as Peter said right here in this sermon, if we will just confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. Amen? You know, it's so simple. And yet it's so complicated. You see, the the mission is clear. The mission is there. And the opportunities are endless. When we as a church move forward, God will work. He promises to work. He said to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell 
will never prevail against it. But in our local expression, he wants to use people. And if his people, you and me, will do what he has called us to do, he promises to build his church. So my question for you today is, will you? Will you join Jesus on this mission? Will we, as the body of Christ at Redeemer City Church, get serious about the power of the Holy Spirit? That you would get up in the morning, that you would walk to lunch today or go to lunch today asking the Holy Spirit to fill you with power, to come like a mighty rushing wind, that you might bring light and warmth to the place you're going. Every moment of every day, you can be spirit-filled and on mission for Jesus. Do you believe that? This is the cry and prayer of this church. That you would be spirit-filled and spirit-led every place that you go. And we want to call you to repent and turn to Jesus so that you might be filled with the Spirit to be His witness in all the earth. Amen?